0: I was hoping he was gonna do that. All right, welcome to Chicken Space. This is episode seven. I'm gonna be over picking in those raspberries today and the blueberries. They're ripe. We're enjoying them so much. So i uh, live it up here with the sound of these lovely happy hands. And then I'll be heading over there. Different things to talk about. Uh, strangely enough, want to talk about climate change and the meaning of life. Uh, to start, it's one of those days where who knows what we'll talk about, but I'm looking forward to picking those raspberries and spending some time with you. Thanks for joining Chicken Space again. I wonder will you will you hold me like this? Well that was kind of fun. We've had this uh, Hen and she's just been laying on the eggs on the ground most of them get laid up in the boxes but uh, these eggs that get laid on the ground very occasionally a hen will go broody that means like they want to lay on them so that they'll hatch and they uh, the hormonal change happens and they just lay on those eggs and they will barely get off maybe every day or two for a drink of water and a quick bite to eat and then they're back on so I had taken the Hen and put her in a separate box so that she would stop being broody and start eating. And two days later, she's clucking around like a normal hen. So I just picked her up, brought her over, thanked her for her work, and tossed her back in with all the hens. And um, <clears throat> the main piece of the podcast for today, I recorded yesterday. And of course, then after I recorded it, uh, then I started thinking. And I had already sent it over to our the sound folks that are doing such a nice job making this into a, a podcast. And um, hopefully they'll accept this little bit of an addition and then uh, i'll i'll get you into the main piece of the podcast but what i realized a couple things but one of the things i realized is like in this whole podcast there's there's no no moment where we spend being in calm and i was out making the rounds picking up the food this morning and uh, it's super busy in town right now it's the height of tourist season beautiful warm days and the stores were just crammed with people, and I was telling folks, "Gosh, it felt like when I was growing up and going to Disneyland. It was so full of people, happy people up here, having a good time." And and one of the people working at the grocery store, he was putting eggs back on the shelf, and and I had just brought in my own case of eggs to add to the thing, and really, it was completely empty except for one other kind of egg. So he just he just said to me, "Lars, when when it's busy like this and I'm overwhelmed." I think about you often. And uh, we've had a couple conversations about calm space, space with nothing in it, and the stresses of life. So uh, it made me think. It's like, really, that's kind of like the thing I have to offer. Um, The piece that I'm going to be talking about, about the changing climate and the changing weather and the changing world and the meaning of life, You know, all of those things, there's other people talking about that. It's not that there's not other people talking about calm. But the chance to experience calm in such a simple way and then bring that calm into the stored upsets of our lives and have those stored upsets permanently relieved from the daily experience of our life. I'm not going to say that's unique, but that's rare. Most people that I spend time with, don't, don't have a method for bringing that into their lives in a consistent and predictable way. So I thought we would spend at least a moment um, just being aware of the power of calm. Another reason for that is somebody uh, that I'd known for really since childhood. Um, some years ago, did, did some work together with this person after uh, he had retired and he was having anxiety and having a hard time sleeping and it started using um, some um, some some drugs for the sleeping and different things and the anxiety and I said you know I'm doing this work now we were just reconnecting and said yeah try it and uh, it turned out he was still uh, when he thought back to his experience uh, in work as an executive there were still some memories there that were causing him stress and and so we addressed those in one just one visit, and uh, he started instantly, or that night, to sleep better and to feel less anxious. It's the predictable and permanent removal of these experiences that have stored um, with upset emotions of anxiety, sadness, fear, anger, uh, whatever. So, uh, it's just super useful. And worth taking a moment, it seems like, to make it a part of maybe every podcast. But just this quick exercise. If you made it a part of your life, if you've got stress or anxiety, you might find that it makes a difference in your life. And so, notice something, anything. If you're driving a mountain in the distance, if you're sitting at home doing something else, uh, maybe the corner of the screen of your computer, and just say out loud, "I, I see... The top of that mountain, and I see the space between myself and that mountain. Nothing esoteric about that. There is a space between myself, and I am looking at a mountaintop. There's a space, and so I see the space. Do this three times, and you may notice that there's actually a change in the physical feeling of your body. I noticed the corner of that trailer over there that has the grain. I went and picked up 6,000 pounds of grain this morning for the chickens from a brewery, and bringing that to them, and we'll unload that in a little bit. I want to have some help backing up the trailer and unloading it. But I noticed the corner of that trailer, the tip of it, is black, black paint. And, saying out loud, I see the corner of that trailer, and I see the space between myself and that trailer. Noticing the space, and then the third time, ah, I see that head of that rooster over there, which I bet wherever you are, maybe you're not seeing the head of a rooster, but you choose a third thing. I see the head of that rooster over there, walking around, clucking around, pecking at food, 100 hens around him, he must be a happy rooster. I see the head of that rooster, and I see the space between myself and that rooster. Do you feel it? That lowering of the energy, or that lowering of the sensation inside of your body? That lower of the lowering of the, you know, life being turned on. <clears throat> A little bit of fight, flight, free, freeze that's going on whenever we're in reaction to our surroundings. And this change it happens when we just stop being reactive to the stuff and start reacting to the nothing, to the space. I do this so many times a day. Whenever I notice that my attention has drifted from the space and I'm no longer doing things out of that awareness of this space that has nothing and everything in it, this infinity, gotten into the habit of doing this oh there's a poor chicken that got stuck in a wire let's see you gotta go let her foot out so she can get up to the water and get something to drink Ah, oh, little chicky and then the piece that's something to add there you go oh okay let's go get you some water There you go, take you over to the water. That's going to be so yummy. There you go. Oh, okay, enjoy. Yeah, there you go. It must have been stressful getting stuck. Maybe you want to see the calm spot, huh? There's actually a book, I forget the name of it now, where uh, it talks about how animals, when they get... Stress, They actually uh, freeze, and then they go through body tremors and shaking, and it's like they're literally shaking it off, moving back to calm. And his point is we, we tend to store up more and more and more stresses, and his work, his technique was helping to release this stress. But a super simple way of releasing this stress is to notice the thing. So we've been noticing points, but now I notice this thing that I'm upset about. And then I say out loud, I see the space between myself and this issue I'm upset about. This sadness that I feel or fear that I feel, whatever it is. And then put your attention in the space. And then put your attention in the thing that's upsetting. Notice what you notice it about now. It'll change, probably, because memory reconsolidation is happening. (laughs) And then bring your attention back to the space. I see the space between myself and the thing I just noticed. Bring your attention back to the space. And then bring your awareness back to the thing you just noticed, whatever it was that had changed or felt the same. Check it. See how it feels now. Whatever you notice, say out loud, I see the space between myself and this thing I just became aware of. Let your attention be in the space, back and forth between the thing you're noticing and the awareness of the space between yourself and the thing you're noticing. I'm pretty sure that if you take that on as a way of life, your life will radically transform towards a simplicity of awareness of non-attachment of non-reactivity of the capacity to live from the present moment yeah that's something i have to share and it seems like it's worth putting in every podcast and like i said i'm going to head over to those raspberries in a moment which i did yesterday i made the, the whole thing about the climate and stuff and i was thinking about that too like one of the things i didn't mention was um, you know, that well, I used to be an engineer, and and like just as a as a frame for, for looking at this. Whenever engineers or scientists are trying to solve problems, or us too, you know we're looking for those things we don't have to pay attention to. Those things that we can just assume are constant and not changing. Uh, like like if you knew the store that you shopped at was always there, it was always open. It would be a constant. But if it had hours that changed every single day and what was available on the shelves changed every single day you went there, you know, that would be a variable. And you'd have to pay a lot more attention to it. And shopping would be a lot more complicated. But if that's the way it really was, you would have to take account of it. Otherwise, you wouldn't get to bring home a dozen happy hen eggs when you went shopping for them because they would be in a different part of the store and you'd be treating them as if they were a constant and they wouldn't be where you look. Well, that's kind of the point of, um... oh good, that little hen's drinking again. That was quite a shock, wasn't it, getting stuck? That's good to see you drinking. You drink that whole pool full of water if you want to. Yeah. Oh, I just stuck her beak down in the water and she figured it out. Good girl. Yeah. So, the whole piece on, on climate change was just that it was assumed that the sun, the activity of the sun was a constant. In the original climate modeling that um, then said CO2 was this variable. When you put more CO2 in, you're gonna get these effects in the atmosphere. So, I guess that's kind of the main point that they, they took this thing that they assumed was a constant, but it was a variable. And when we do that, we end up um, in situations where the equations we put together don't accurately reflect reality. And so if they were changing the location of the Happy Hen egg shelf every day in the store and you counted it as a constant, you wouldn't be getting eggs. In the case of climate change, if you don't account for the variability of the sun, you don't get the right results or results that reflect what's actually happening in the atmosphere. So that's kind of coming. And then the other thing I thought of was a story. It's a story about how we, how we can really only hear what we're able to hear. And I heard it back in seminary, and this professor told it to us, and I laughed so hard when he told it. And then it just seemed so true after I became a pastor. Like It seemed like didn't matter what I said. People heard whatever they needed to hear. And of course, I was saying whatever I needed to say, so I was in the exact same boat. But the story went this way, that there was this, this uh, intern, a pastoral intern. And so he was getting to make a, a sermon towards the end of his time at this church that he was serving at as an intern. And uh, he brought a, a saw and he brought a hammer up into the pulpit. And he was, as he was preaching, he, he picked up the saw and he said, you know, I have enjoyed my time being an intern here. But I really feel that my calling is to not, not to be a pastor. It's it's to be a carpenter. I want to have a life where I'm working with these tools and making things. This saw he held up the saw. This hammer he held up the hammer. And so I thank you for all the training that you've given me, the discernment, and uh, you know really appreciate that. And I'm I'm looking forward now to finishing this internship, going back, finishing my degree, and then pursuing my life as a carpenter and in this church as in many of the churches the pastor, whoever was preaching would go out to the the front of the church where everybody laughed and shake everybody's hands and get their comments and these two people uh, came out and they said, that was such a lovely sermon you are just going to be a wonderful pastor and I just laughed so hard when I heard that Especially because I'd been at an internship and I'd started to learn that, oh, we only hear what we're able to hear. And these people were sure that this person was going to be a pastor. And so what he said went right by. And I think about that, how we get stuck in, in patterns where we can't even hear what's happening. And so that's a piece of the climate thing. And then the last thing is, you can find that climate stuff all kinds of places it's not the special thing I have to offer. I think it's important. There's multi-trillions of dollars uh, in the balance of how we're going to approach the care and the stewardship of our our planet. And uh, it's changing and whether or not we decide to take action on CO2 in the atmosphere or or uh, different action based on on different assumptions. like Those are big big deals but you can find that anywhere. It's this piece about living in a way that uh, lives out of the awareness of this infinite source and how we can have a greater and greater awareness of it. I think that's like the core of what I have to offer. And as I've said in previous episodes, it's why I have these chickens. How can I have chickens with all these variables and all these unknowns and all my stupid mistakes and do that and the awareness that source is source, infinity is infinity, and nothing I do or don't do will remove me or take me away from the presence of that truth. The chance to try to put words around that, to try to share that, to try to you know open up the opportunity for you if that's interesting to you to live into that, yeah, that's the stuff I had to say. But it was fun talking about climate yesterday and how the world's changing and the sun and the meaning of life and those kinds of things so take you back to yesterday heading off to that beautiful raspberry patch we had them on creme brulee last night yum yum all right enjoy thanks a lot lots more information as i've said at icemethod.com my book the river of life or about the farm at manyspokes.com. here you go bye Hey there, I've done a lot of these episodes from weeding the garden, which has been nice to do, but now we're getting to the point of eating all the good stuff that's getting ripe. We've had such really good Caesar salads, got some nice romaine lettuce growing over there, and spinach, bok choy for stir fry, and uh, the Walla Walla onions haven't gotten very big yet, but we're thinning them, taking out every other one and kind of using them like green onions, but they're starting to get round. They're one of my favorite things too. Anyway, this, today, I'm in the raspberry patch, and they are ripe. We are picking and enjoying those, and uh, the favorite way I'm having them right now is somebody turned us on to making creme brulee not long ago, and uh, every batch of that takes five eggs, and we've got wonderful eggs, so five egg yolks, actually. So uh, we have been perfecting that with recipe after recipe of creme brulee, with raspberries and with chocolate, with blueberries, and we've even made a lemon creme brulee, which was a favorite as well. So anyway, lots of good stuff. That's one of my favorite things is just to be gardening and then seeing all this amazing stuff be created. So uh, I said in the intro there, I wanted to talk about the meaning of life and climate change and i wanted to start out with like how my viewpoints have changed on different things and one of those things what has to do with the gardening is antibiotics and probiotics there was a day not long ago in fact i certainly grew up in that day and would see those little films when we were in the um, elementary school that they would put on with Gosh, that's 50 years ago now. So these were those old black and white films with the science commentators. And science was going to do all of these different things to make the world so much better and all these different products. And one of them, of course, was antibiotics. And um, we have, in the ensuing time, learned like antibiotics are miraculous um, for uh, taking care of certain... Um, diseases and symptoms and things like that, but that when we overuse them, uh, we end up with lots of problems, like when we give them <clears throat> to cattle and to chickens and to pigs uh, constantly just as a preventative, we end up with new strains of, of bacteria or, and that the old antibiotics no longer fight. And even more than that, we've come to realize uh, the value of good bacteria, of probiotics and that was something we didn't even take account of when I was a kid like there was no idea at that time no sense that in the body for every cell we have that's a part of us there are ten other single-celled living organisms in our body so the single-celled organisms outnumber the body cells in a human being ten to one Which, when I first heard that, I was just absolutely stunned. And we are aware now that we need a very uh, strong and healthy gut bacteria, flora, um, in order to lead healthy lives. And it's so important now that um, if we don't have that, uh, we are uh, now doing transplants from people who have healthy uh, gut flora and, and... giving that to people who have weak gut flora or bad gut flora, and there are amazing uh, changes that are happening for them. Some people, their lupus symptoms uh, just go away almost completely within a couple days just by changing the gut bacteria. So that's like one of the things. Another thing that totally surprised me was when I started um, gardening, we tilled, used our rototiller a lot, uh, you till up the soil, and it was thought, you know, it's really good to till up the soil. And it's important to keep keep it aerated and weed-free and turn it up. And then uh, then I learned about wood chip gardening. And I saw this video on it called uh, Back to Eden Film by a guy over in Squim, Washington. And uh, that was a fun story, how this guy had grown up you know, gardening with his family in Los Angeles. And when he grew up, he and his... Wife they uh, moved up to Washington and they wanted to start a little a little homestead a little farm and there was no water and this uh, uh, was a very religious guy so he went out into the woods and he prayed prayed to God how you know what am I going to do how am I going to do this I drilled a well and the amount of water that we got just it's not going to cover it and uh, he was looking around in the forest and Like, he was asking this question, well, how, how, God, how, how do all these trees survive without being watered every week? And he looked down in the ground, and he realized, you know, everything is covered. In nature, where things grow, everything is covered by the leaves that fall off in the fall, the branches that come down, and so he dug into that layer, and it was damp and moist, and it was like, oh, that's it instead of tilling my garden and, uh, you know, getting all the moisture away, I need to cover it. So he got wood chips and he covered his garden, got horse manure and composted and put it on, got chickens and fed all his weeds to them and the chicken compost he put on his garden. And he started getting the most amazing, amazing garden you could imagine. His name is Paul we over in Squam. And, um, Some people came and made a documentary after he'd been doing this for many years. It's an incredible film to watch um, about growing food, and it totally inspired me. In fact, here I am picking these raspberries right now, and I'm standing or sitting on uh, wood chips that are covering the paths between the raspberries, and it looks very nice and very well manicured, so that's nice, but what it's doing by covering the soil is it's holding the moisture in and like we were talking about bacteria before, oh, plants are just the same. They need all these different bacteria um, to be functioning in the soil, and in the air, and on their leaves in order to have uh, good, good growth. So when we put compost on, uh, on plants, well, part of it is the nutrition, of course. But the main part of what we're providing to plants when we do that is we're providing them bacteria. Compost becomes compost because single-celled organisms and worms and caterpillars, or not caterpillars, but millipedes and centipedes and uh, inchworms and things like that are, are breaking the soil down. Or the compost, all the material, the leaves, and for us the chicken poop and the food that we collect that the chickens don't eat, all of that The bacteria love that. They're eating that, they're turning that into a bacteria-rich fertilizer. And when you put that on, the plants, they love um, that bacteria. And that's what helps to make them grow so well. So there was another big change for me. And I told you I wanted to talk about the climate change change that's happened for me. So I have an engineering degree and um, care about the earth and all those things. And so uh, for me it was a no-brainer that um, climate change is caused by the increase of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and the increase of carbon dioxide is caused by us humans uh, burning fossil fuels. I mean it makes sense if you look at the graph, I mean Al Gore is famous for this graph. But as we, in the 50s, when they started to look at this question, I think it was the 50s or somewhere around there, back in the 1950s, they noticed that the temperatures on the planet seemed to be increasing. And they also noticed that the CO2 levels were increasing. And so it makes sense that uh, you could correlate those two and say because CO2 levels are increasing, therefore, The temperature is increasing on our planet. And if we continue to increase CO2 levels, we're going to increase our planetary temperatures by a lot. Totally made sense to me. And then, just like with the gardening, just like with the antibiotics, I started listening to someone else. Some different data. A friend invited me to watch... um, Some videos by this guy, Ben Davidson, who has spaceweathernews.com, and I started watching those five years ago, completely convinced that the CO2 explanation was the correct one. Eddie the cat is back, helping me pick raspberries. Hi, Eddie. What a friendly cat we have. So convinced that the CO2 explanation was the correct one. And Mr. Davidson was saying, uh... The thing they're missing in the model is that they're saying that there's no variability of the sun in the model, that it's all a function of increasing CO2, leads to increasing temperature. <clears throat> and the sun, the energy from the sun, is considered a constant I believe the number is three watts per square centimeter or per square meter on the Earth, some average number. And he was saying, you know, that's not actually true. The sun has a lot of variability. It has an 11-year cycle of uh, solar flares that go up and they go down. And these solar flares um, put significant amounts of energy into the atmosphere. And there's um, coronal mass ejections. And just that the energy that comes into the atmosphere is not constant. And one of the theses of these people, there's also who say that um, the sun's variability, if we account for it, it uh, it will tell us that much of the heating and the cooling on the Earth happens because the sun is changing. And besides the 11-year cycle, there's also these 400-year cycles of the sun. And we've had periods about every 400 years. One's called the Maunder Minimum back. Of it many hundreds of years ago, where the Earth cooled considerably. And if you look at the history of the Sun, we should be moving into a time like that, where the Earth is actually cooling instead of rising. And we've been going through a time these last 50 years, the same time when we were watching the CO2 rise and saying that, oh, is going up because of CO2, during the same time, the sun was in a very active phase. And so we were getting more energy into the planet from the sun than the models were accounting for. And since they weren't accounting for it, they had to say, oh, well, the reason the earth is changing, the temperature must be because of carbon dioxide, because the sun is a constant and the sun's not a constant. So there's that surprise like antibiotics. You know, we look at a piece of it and we say, "Oh, it's so great. Let's just feed it to all our pigs and cows and everything and that'll be even better." And then we weren't taking account of this thing that oh, bacteria mutate. And then antibiotics aren't going to work so well if we just use bacteria all or antibiotics all over the place for things we don't really need them for, right? To get pigs to Um, be ready for slaughter a couple days faster than if we didn't give them antibiotics. In retrospect, that just seemed crazy, right? And someday probably, it'll seem crazy that we factored the sun as non-variable, that the sun's energy doesn't change. But that's where we're at now. So because we're saying the sun's energy doesn't change, then we have to say everything else that's happening in our world has to be a function of the CO2. There's a like also this incredible piece of data, and I guess that's like my point with the meaning of life. <clears throat> if you look at the ice cores on the Earth, and you look at CO2, CO2 levels have changed a lot. We're talking about the highest levels we've had in humankind's history of you know about 400 parts per million. Well, in historical times, while there was life on earth, we've had recorded levels that they can go back and check of up to 7,000 parts per million. Almost 20 times higher than what we currently have. And in that time, plants were growing like huge plants because there was so much CO2, which is plant food. and. Um, Then later, when they ate up all the CO2, CO2 levels went down. And then as they went back up, then another plant form came along and evolved and, and ate those up. And so we've had variable CO2 levels throughout history, but huge changes. And so when we're talking about this being like the highest CO2 levels in recorded history, actually, historically, we have very low CO2 levels. But that's not the point I wanted to make. The point I wanted to make is in this history that they're looking at, what they find is always the temperature changes first and then the carbon dioxide level follows. We've been saying exactly the opposite with our theory of climate change, right? We're saying that the CO2 is rising and that's causing the temperature to rise. What history shows is that instead, it's the other way around. Temperature rises first and then carbon dioxide follows. And why is that? Because of the ocean. Because the ocean holds like 50 times the amount of carbon dioxide that the atmosphere does. And if you heat up the ocean, it gives off carbon dioxide. Hot water doesn't hold as much CO2. It gets released into the atmosphere. So you have rising temperatures, you get rising CO2. If you have falling temperatures, now the ocean's temperature falls. And when the ocean's temperature falls, well, then it can absorb more CO2. And so the CO2 in the atmosphere decreases. This is the exact opposite of what we've been saying with our model that we've been using for climate change. So I actually got fascinated by all this stuff, and I watch a news video on this almost every day with the different discoveries and things like that that are talking about how the climate changes. There's a couple other factors, a big one is that the magnetic field of the earth is changing and it's decreasing. And it's this decrease in the magnetic field that's allowing uh, more cosmic rays to come in. Those are actually the things that cause clouds. The prediction from this group of people that are following this and looking at this is that we're gonna get more cloud cover and ultimately cooler temperatures. They're saying that the CO2 levels that are being caused by humans are not the cause of the changing climate. They're agreeing that we have a changing climate, but the reason for it is different. Well, this matters for a couple reasons. One, if it's actually true, then the approach we need to take um, to this change in climate is different because removing carbon dioxide from the, at- from the atmosphere wouldn't make much of a difference. <clears throat> it's being caused by the variation in the sun, the variation in our magnetic field, maybe some other factors too, but not the CO2 level. The ocean will absorb CO2 as soon as the temperature cools and as it rises, it will release CO2 into the atmosphere. And the temperature is going to go up or down as a result of how much energy we put into the atmosphere from the sun, that variable, and then how much gets reflected back by cloud cover. Uh, why am I talking about this? Like spending almost a whole raspberries worth of row of picking to talk about this and, and thinking, geez, you're probably super bored, but well, I guess it's it's about that, how we get ideas and we say something so and then like a whole we can just think things are so because other people are saying it and we, we get in that place where um, we stop we stop looking around us and we stop questioning and we stop being open and um, whether it's one issue or another or a political viewpoint or a social viewpoint this way that we can look at things and say that's true and we can almost not hear uh, what another person is saying um, so I've been listening to this, and it's certainly not what you hear in the news. I love public television. Public television put lots and lots of energy into keeping the conversation going about CO2-caused global warming. I love that channel. Um, but I've been listening. And, and my, my sense is that this other explanation actually makes more sense even though it's not the popular explanation. Why would scientists not like, embrace this? I uh, finished the raspberry row. now I'm eating some. You might hear a chicken and I gotta head over and put these in the fridge and hear the chickens. You know, why would scientists not just embrace the data and if it was right then say it? Um, at all the other times in the world where something has come along, something new and the challenge for a new idea to come into our world and change us or to change a culture. How slow that process is. Back when I was a pastor at the Lutheran Church in Michigan, I was a campus pastor, and um, I had this awareness, because it seems like I've just been kind of out in the strange edge of life a lot, and Kent, who helps me put these videos together, your podcasts together, he says, he reminds me how strange I am, and um, back when I was in Michigan, there was this really helpful thing, we did these lectures, we invited professors to come over to the church and, and speak to the students, under this theme, if this was my last lecture, you know, if this was the last time I ever got to share with the public, what would I say? Those were great lectures. I mean, you could think about that for yourself. If this was your last 15 minutes, what would you say? I'm not sure I would talk about climate change like I'm talking about right now. But one of those lectures was studying um, genes, genetics. And all of the changes and advances that were happening, we actually had a couple different people doing that. And one of them was studying, like, E. coli bacteria because they could uh, be adapted so quickly and change and study these different things. And what I got from these two people who were talking was, like, hello again, Eddie. Eddie followed me over to the fridge. What I got from these two people was how, like, in an organism... Most of the cells just do what they're supposed to do. Like for a human, a nose cell becomes a nose cell, toe cell becomes a toe cell, and mostly function pretty incredibly well. And so there's this conservative nature to our being that keeps us operating in a predictable way, keeps our body operating, and I think actually keeps our mind and our way of looking at things operating. In a pretty predictable way but then there's always these mutant genes being produced these genes that are a little bit different and you know a little tweak gets made to the whole system once in a while because a mutant gene came along and it could do something better and in a time of crisis uh, an organism can just start churning out tons and tons of copies of different mutations Like in this race to find something that will work and adapt to the new situation I remember after listening to those lectures. I, uh, I Just I think I was going to bed one night going to sleep. It's like oh my gosh Like that mutant gene just describes my life perfectly I don't really fit in the mainstream. Totally dependent on the mainstream. Totally dependent on this culture to work and to function. And yet I've always felt like I've been outside of it. And so with this climate change conversation, there's a culture now that says says it's CO2-caused warming. And there's this two-sided argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's very politicized and very rigid on both sides. And there's not a whole lot of looking and conversation about these factors of the sun, the factors of Earth's magnetic field, and like just looking seriously and questioningly at them. Because the data from those suggests, indeed, on the side of climate change, yes, we're going to have maybe even more dramatic changes in global weather than if the explanation of the CO2 people was correct and the people who say no, there's no climate change there's no co2 warming it's like yeah the co2 part you're right but boy are we going to have changes in the climate as the earth's magnetic field weakens the the polar vortex those uh, circulations up around the poles down around the poles those um, become more chaotic and that's the kind of weather we've seen and that could be explained. It is being explained by additional CO2, but it can also be explained by the sun's energy and the change of the magnetic field. So the people who say, oh, nothing's changing, it's like, well, the data suggests, well, maybe a lot's changing, but it's changing for a different reason than CO2. So there's this real life situation here where how we look at things, makes a big difference. And that was my thing about the meaning of life. There's this saying, the meaning of life is the meaning of life. And remember the first time I read that, I just so struggled with that. What do you mean the meaning of life is the meaning of life? Well, what's the meaning of life? And the answer to that is the meaning of life is the meaning of life. And I just kept listening to that and listening to that and just giving me brain pain until finally I got, oh, the meaning of life is the meaning of life. And everything I say from this moment on is what I'm saying the meaning of life is. And so we have COT people saying the meaning of CO2, the meaning of climate change is this. We have people who say, you know, um, people who say the climate is not changing, that this is the meaning of this. People who study the sun saying this is the meaning of this. People who study the Earth's magnetic field, this is the meaning of this. The meaning of a dog is the meaning of a dog. I have a friend who When he goes running, he's very afraid. Uh, Whenever he hears a dark dog bark, because he's been bit by dogs. And because he's afraid, dogs get excited by him. So the meaning of a dog for him is problematic. The meaning of a dog for me, that changed when I bicycled across the country. I've always liked dogs, but there I was, bicycling across the country. And there's something about the spokes on a bicycle wheel that really grab a dog's attention. A lot of time they'll chase you, and they'll bark, I used to, the first couple times, I tried to outrun them, which is really hard when your bike is fully loaded with gear and you're trying to pedal across the country and you're tired. And then after a few times, it's like, I'm just going to stop. And so the meaning of a chasing dog changed for me from a mean dog to, oh, this dog's going to come up, it's going to sniff me, it's going to wag its tail, and I get a break from bicycling all day, and I get to pet a dog. The meaning of life is the meaning of life. Later on, when I I started in Los Angeles, I got all the way across the country, had some extra time, so I went up into Canada. I was in Nova Scotia, and I still have this memory of this uh, French-Canadian guy who spoke a little English who was on a bicycle, and we decided to to camp together, And, and I just couldn't resist after a while asking him. I didn't exactly know how to do it, but here's this guy on a bicycle tour, and he had a A full-sized shovel sticking out from his panniers on his bicycle like a full-size shovel the four-foot handle or whatever those are and a full-size shovel head finally I said what's that shovel for and he said it's for the dogs dogs always chase me I have to hit the dogs the meaning of a dog is the meaning of a dog the meaning of life is the meaning of life meaning of climate change is the meaning of climate change. I'm still learning that lesson. There are so many things, I think the meaning of this, this is what it is. This is the right meaning for this. And that other meaning, your meaning, not so right. One of those authors who was writing about the meaning of life is the meaning of life was just making this strong point that life is subjective it is the subject me you us experiencing life that puts the meaning on it like there's no particular meaning to anything you can stop for that dog and pet it that's a meaning you can try to hit it with a full-size shovel when you're bicycling that's another meaning You can say climate change is due to CO2, or you can say climate change is not happening, or you can say climate change is due to the sun. All of those are the subject saying something. It's so different from the way I grew up that there's this rightness about this and this is the right way and that would be a wrong way and your job is to figure out the right way and then argue for it and defend it. The meaning of life is the meaning of life. Right now... All those chickens, over 800 chickens, over 300 of them are gonna start laying eggs pretty soon. So that will be a lot more eggs for us to be taken to the stores. All right, now in this mode of like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna make this work? How am I gonna go to all the new housing built and put together and raise new baby chicks and get up to that number that becomes a sustainable number for us to be a farm and to have helpers, interns? start training people, do all those things. The meaning of this flock of chickens is the meaning of this flock of chickens. It's whatever meaning I choose to put into it today, right now. And if I have a moment of, this will never work, well, that's a meaning I put into it. So to relate that to last week, talking about out loud and the space between all things, You and I, we get the incredible gift of putting meaning on things. Our little particular gift of saying something in the middle of the universe that holds everything, that's space, that's infinite, that allows and honors individual voices saying specific things in the middle of infinity. So now, instead of it becoming an argument between carbon dioxide and the sun and the Earth's magnetic field, it's like, oh, this is amazing. You and I, we get to speak into infinity. Hmm. Sort of takes the edge off being right and wrong, takes the edge off duality. Someone's using their gift of speech in this way. Someone else is using their gift of speech of speaking out loud of making a statement they're using it in this way that's a big change for me as an engineer there was a right way and a wrong way and you certainly wanted to figure out the right way to make that bridge work They would show us that movie of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge where they didn't get the frequency stuff figured out right and when the wind came that bridge started galloping and finally just tore itself apart well there's a right way to build that bridge and those guys didn't build it And so I was raised into that tradition of engineering, a right way and a wrong way. And then when I was a pastor, the training that we got as a pastor, oh my gosh, it was so, there's this right way and there's that right way. And the right way meant that when you wrote your papers, you had to quote other people that said either what you were saying or said something else that you argued with. But it all had to be referenced to the body of work that had already happened. And you could say almost anything you want as long as you referenced it. I remember coming back from internship, you know, it all been all about conversation and different viewpoints and getting along and trying to preach about love and care and Jesus and all those things. And You come back and I, I was getting all A's on my paper before I left and I came back and I started getting C's. I couldn't figure it out for a little while and then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm not arguing. I wasn't writing my papers in this argumentative style that got A's, right? This duality, this this way and not that way, this is better than that. It's been a year with this congregation of people trying to be someone who lived with people in all their various different ways of being. Didn't know it at that time, but honoring the different particular voices that people use to speak their experience in the middle of infinity. That the meaning of life is the meaning of life. And whatever we say is our take on the meaning of life. Yeah, so that's something I wanted for the archives. Like thinking about making these podcasts is something that um, you know that share things that I think about, that that seem important to my take on the meaning of life. Things that I want to have put down. And uh, this piece on the way we see truth, the way we see meaning, the way we see it in issues of our day like climate change or antibiotics or different things like that, the way we see it on the way we do. Our daily life. Yeah, it seems to me to be a pretty significant um, awareness. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, so it's nice to talk about it. Don't know if I've done it very well. Again, like I said, these podcasts, it's about like just stepping into learning to have a language for this mode of communication, like I did when I was up at Nome. Learning to have a language to be comfortable. Preaching out of a preacher's box, preaching a sermon, sharing with a community. Learning now to get a sense of the language, right? As a way to share my take on what the meaning of life is, which is the meaning of life. So it's nice to spend this day together, spend this time. The chickens, I can hear them in the background. I don't know if you can or not, but boy, are they ever... Talking up a storm, they're laying lots of eggs out there. It's a beautiful, beautiful day that we have here. A couple of days ago, we had an incredible thunderstorm. Over an inch came down really fast, and we had slides and uh, washouts onto a lot of the roads. And then uh, yesterday was beautiful, today's gorgeous, right here in the middle of summer. It has been a cool summer. I'm talking about the heat wave in Europe as evidence for global warming. And just right to the east of that, in Russia and Eastern Europe, they're actually having record cold. Why? Because that polar vortex is dipping down there, it's bringing cold Arctic air down in the middle of summer over this part of the country in Russia. And there's a high-pressure system that's sitting there for a couple days over Europe. And the hot weather's getting reported, and the cold weather, not so much. So if you're interested in like checking into this, because it is one of these significant issues that we talk about these days, and we talk about it in this kind of a game over way if we don't do something about CO2 in the next few years. So a uh, website where this Ben Davidson uh, posts his material is spaceweathernews.com. So am I might for like the Green New Deal and all these kinds of Trying to figure out how to do our energy without using fossil fuel, absolutely. Taking care of this earth is hugely important in my life. I mean, here I am collecting food and feeding the chickens. There's some evidence in the way I'm doing things that this matters to me. And if we're gonna spend trillions of dollars on protecting the integrity of this planet, well, we should have as much possible data as we can and as clear a possible picture of why the experiences that we're having with weather and climate are happening would it be great if we all had electric cars if solar and wind are powering our world renewably and at far less environmental cost than fossil fuels oh my gosh would that be great totally support that This is nothing, you know, this data is nothing against the agenda of taking care of our planet. But it's this piece about, like, what's really happening? Something that's so tricky for us to uh, sometimes get a handle on once we have a set viewpoint. Uh, I forget what it was I was building the other day, but I built it this way and I had this idea for doing it. And I made a little tweak and I thought it was so creative and I came back the next day and thought, gosh, If I had stepped back and seen this other way to do it, I would have done it completely differently. But I was already in the process. I was consumed by it. I had this idea. And so I didn't see outside of that box that I had created for myself. It's not just about climate change. It's not just about my little building project. But we often are um, looking from inside of a box of perspectives that's far more limited than it needs to be. Well, I guess that's what I have to say in this section. I might have something else, so this might be it. I'm going to go out and check those chickens now. Picked up some eggs earlier on, and it's going to be time to do that again soon and then uh, package them up and get them into the stores. This is a very busy season for us here, the height of summer in the Lake Chelan Valley, and uh, we're getting calls for these eggs from all the places we supply, and almost everybody is out. There is a run on the happy hen eggs because there are so many people here in the Lake Chelan Valley um, enjoying this holiday season, this height of the summer holidays, summer vacations. The lake is full of boats and people swimming and clearly somewhere people are either eating omelets or maybe they also are making creme brulee. Very best wishes for a wonderful day. Thanks for letting me kind of share about this stuff. Um, I'm always excited about comments if you are listening to this you can go to icemethod.com where uh, I share about the healing work um, that I've been working with with memory reconsolidation and the ice method and also my latest book the river of life that's at icemethod.com and then if you want to learn more about the farm you can head over to manyspokes.com it's the Many Spokes farm where we have the happy hens alright thanks so much for this time together blessings for the day if you're playing with that out out loud method um, that i shared last time i'm looking forward to any feedback you have if you missed that one you can go back that was episode six came out last week and uh, i'll be very curious if you find it making a difference for the quality the calm of your life all right thanks so much goodbye from chicken space Well, that's pretty exciting. I'm up here uh, after picking those raspberries. I came up to the new land and working on the chicken housing, and a deer's just walking by right now, so that's pretty nice. Uh, but I was listening to what I had just put together about uh, the meaning of life and, and about uh, the changing climate and stuff, and realized that probably the biggest example in my life of where meaning changes is memory reconsolidation that I've been talking about a lot in these episodes and how the mind actually works and how uh, so far that's so very little known uh, in our society, in our world, in our healing professions. Um, And it's something that uh, I think over time it's going to, to revolutionize the way we think about the brain. We've learned so much about neurons and synapses and the wiring of the brain and how we can build new neural networks, but memory reconsolidation and how it talks about uh, removing uh, fear memories, upset memories from the storage in our brain, uh, that's another one of those things um, that is taking time like the awareness of antibiotics and now the awareness of how weather is changing climate is changing and the influence of the variability of the sun so pretty interesting world to live in i'm glad for all of these uh, different things that we get to experience and make meaning out of i'm certainly trying to make some meaning out of these uh, new chicken houses here getting them put together getting them moved into position and hopefully sometime in the next week or two we'll have 800 and some chickens up on our new land Uh, an exciting new step and a new beginning for us and for the happy hens well it's been nice to visit here today on chicken space thank you so much I'm and so uh, all the best till we meet again bye-bye i'm so lonesome it's been a hundred days and since i felt